0: Welcome to a special bonus podcast brought to you by the Be Here Now Network. We would like to share stories from teacher and kirtan leader Krishnadas about the life of Neem Karoli Baba and the acts of grace that people have experienced through him. Don't worry, you will be getting a new episode of the Healing at the Edge podcast at the regular time. In the meantime, We invite you to enjoy this reflection from Krishnadas about his time in India with Maharaji and the miracle of love he witnessed there. You can search for the Pilgrim Heart Podcast with Krishnadas in your podcast player and subscribe to receive regular talks, Q&As, and music with Katie. Don't forget that these podcasts are brought to you by the Be Here Now Network. Which is only made possible through your continued support. Visit dot Network.com slash donate to find out how you can support these podcasts, along with all of the retreats, live events, and daily content made available by the Be Here Now Network.
2: All the money in the universe is mine, even the money in America. Maharaj said that as this guy who one of there were a couple of people in the group who had a few bucks and they used to give we had the hanuman fund and you know not, most of us had nothing so they put they there was a little fund and if we needed a few rupees to get to town we could take it so this one of these guys kept trying to give maharaji money and he would not accept money from the westerners under any circumstances he would not take money from the westerners and it drove this guy out of his mind and he just kept trying to find ways to get money. Mar- he would talk to old the, the old Indian devotees and they would try to give Maharaji the money and say, ah, tap it back to him, you know? And uh, he it drove the guy crazy. And he would say, Why are you trying to give me money? All the money in the universe is mine. Even the money in America. And he would laugh. But the guy could not finally he just stuffed it in the temple box in the, the the box outside the temple, like a billion dollars or something. It's uh But he did accept money from the Indian devotees to buy food and feed people, because that's what he did. He fed people, fed everyone who came. In India, food is like money here. If you were going to give out money to people, oh, you'd get quite a lineup of people. But in India, money, now it's different. But in those days, food was the most valuable thing, because people didn't know where the next meal was coming from. We are so... We are f- reaping the fruits of so many positive karmas. We don't worry about where our next meal is going to come from. We don't worry about where we're going to sleep tonight, unless you you snuck in here and you have no place to stay. <laughs> we don't worry about all these things, where we're going to get fresh water to drink, or if we're going to have enough water to take a shower or wash. We take so many things I don't even want to say we take them for granted. We, we're the beneficiary of so many wonderful things. Being born here in, a, in the West, in a country of such wealth and uh, possibilities. So it's very hard to realize, you know, what it's like when you really don't know where your next meal is going to come from. So Maharaji fed everyone, fed everyone. And, um, one of the reasons he built the temple where he did was that there was a village about 18 kilometers over, the, over a few ridges up in the mountains. And almost every year there was a drought or a storm and the crops were destroyed. And all these villages almost starved almost every year. So once the temple was built, from April to November, every day, 20 or 30 of these kids from the village would walk the 18 kilometers, they would eat as much as they could possibly eat, and then they would carry as much food as they could back to the village for the rest of the people. Nobody told them that. But that's what he did. And it was more than that, of course, because it was was coming from him, and it had his blessings with it. And this is also a very big thing. It was called prasad, food that's been offered to a great being or to god and then trans and then given out to people it carries blessings with it if you believe that you don't have to he fed everybody it was quite extraordinary i mean nobody did that in, in india uh, yogis and saints they didn't do that you might get a little piece of sugar if you came to the temple as prasad yeah but Everyone who came, they were given a, they weren't necessarily sat down, but they were given a packet with puris and potatoes cooked with ghee, not with, with, with oil, but with ghee, the most expensive ingredients. He treated everybody as if they were God. Here, it's the best food you can possibly get. I had a friend who had just come up from another guru's place. He, he was probably down to about 85 pounds. He was like, you know, 5'10", and he had malaria and hepatitis He wasn't supposed to eat any oily stuff. He comes to the temple. Maharaji gives him a plate of food, a pile, a mountain of of potatoes cooked in oil and deep fried puris, right? About this high. And he sits there and he watches him eat it from across the courtyard. God bless him. The guy ate it and he never had a problem with any of his malaria or hepatitis again. It was up to him if he could eat it or not. So this stuff went on all the time. So he took money from people because people wanted to give, so he accepted. And one time he was sitting out on the road uh, at night. He would just walk out and then sit down on the road. You know, it's crazy. So all the devotees would have to come and sit down on the road with him, and cars would stop and go around, you know, just like that. So one day they're sitting on the road, Dada, one of his great devotees, uh, who was, uh, he had been an communist economics professor in Allahabad University when he met Maharaji. I'll tell you this story. So, so, and he had no interest in in babas and religion and saints or yogis, absolutely none. So, but he was living with his wife and his uh, mother. One day, he sees, uh, he, he sees his wife and his mother putting their shoes on to go out. So he says, where are you going? And she, his wife said, well, there's, we've heard that there's this Baba that comes to the house across the street. And we've been waiting. And they just told us that he's there. So we want to go see him. Yeah, good. Go, go. So they left. And they came right back, like about five minutes later. And Dada looks at his wife and says, what happened? And she said, well, it was very strange. And even though he didn't believe in this, he was still respectful to people. And so he, they went home, Dada to the house, and Maharaj sits down in the living room. And Dada kind of stands there, and then the people from across the street come in, and the ladies go into the kitchen, they start cooking, more devotees start, and there's a party in 10 minutes. And uh, Dada's just like, okay. And uh, little by little, he became uh, one of the great devotees. And he's written two books. The first one is called By His Grace, which is the story of his time with Maharaji. And the second book is called The Near and the Deer, which is such a nice phrase. And in it, he, he talks about his relationship with all the older devotees that he met when he came into contact with Maharaji and how Maharaji never taught him a damn thing but he learned how to be a devotee from the other older devotees who had already kind of gotten into it. Two really good books. Hmm? They have it here? Oh, my God. (laughs) They have it here in the bookstore. Both of them. Oh, my goodness. They must also have Miracle of Love. But they have By His Grace... And you can, you know, and they also may have miracle of love by, Ram, which is stories that Ramdas put together after coming back from in India. Where are we? I don't know. Somebody say something. Who has the mic? Here it is. Okay. Where? Oh, you still have it? <laughs> I have it. Don't touch that again. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, let's go to that side, and then we'll come back to this side. Hold on to it. Don't give it away. What's wrong with you? Okay. I uh, thank you for sharing the uh, stories in India. It reminds me of some uh, third-class trains I rode on there 25 years ago. Oh my God! <laughs> but more importantly, um, <clears throat> if Maharaji could ask a question to you today, what would the question be? And what would you say? <laughs> Why didn't you do what I told you to do? Just get out! <laughs> That's what I do. You know, uh, what is the person who, you know, the the funny thing is, even though he knew everything, and believe me, I I can't say this enough ways. He knew
1: everything.
2: That too. He knew what you did in the bathroom when you were six years old. Yeah, everything. Everything. Everything but he never judged. All he did was love you more than you could ever possibly love yourself, knowing everything about us. So what was I going to show, tell you something? Um, oh, with Dada. You know, his Dada became like the greatest straight man in the business. Like one day, he was standing with Maharaji, sitting, he always stood in Maharaji's presence, he never sat down. Maharaji would be sitting and Dada would be standing there with a, a little shmata, you know, shooing the flies away and stuff like that, and all of a sudden Dada bursts out laughing, and my heart says, "My heart used to love to pretend to be angry and cranky. It was great." Incre- Why are you laughing? And Dada says, "Because what there the there was a, a mountain range just a couple of ranges over where the army used for artillery practice. You know, like huge bombs would go off there. So a, a big bomb went off, I, but it was always anyway." So Dada hears this bomb go off, and he breaks out laughing. And Maharaj says, why are you laughing? Dada says, I'm thinking you're like the army. What? How am I like the army? They're always firing blanks. Because <laughs> that's what they did on the artillery range. It wasn't real bombs, right? Maharaj goes, "Ha! Ah, I'm like the army always firing blanks. <laughs> <laughs> One time he looks at Dada and says, Dada, you have No brains. No brains. I have plenty of brains, Dada. I have plenty of brains. Ha, Baba. Yes, Baba. You have plenty of brains. I have no brains. You have plenty of brains. Yes, I have plenty of brains. You have brains too, Dada. Yes, Baba. I have brains too. It didn't matter what Maharaji said. Dada would say, yes, Baba. Yes, Baba. It was insane. It was just extraordinary. Just watch this go back and forth. So, huh? Huh? Uh, yes, thank you. A brain. <laughs> ah. So they're standing on the road. Maharaj sitting, and this guy walks up with this big paper bag. And he comes down. He sits in front of Maharaj, and he pushes the bag over to Maharaj. Maharaj says, "What's that?" He said, "It's it's it's money." Acha, what's it for, Baba? It's for you. Oh. What do you do with it, Baba? You, you use it to to get things you want. Oh, I don't want anything. Take it back. No, no, Baba. You 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 know you buy you you, you 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 go to the store with it. Oh, it's late. The stores are closed. Take it back. No, no, Baba. You you he tried everything, every way he could to get my heart. takes take this huge bag of money, right? Finally, he had to pick it up and walk away with it. As he's walking away, Maharaj turns to Dada and says, you must be disappointed at the loss of so much money. <laughs> <laughs> and what did Dada say? Ha, huh, Baba, yes, Baba, I am. <laughs> but he was because he was thinking how much prasad he could buy with it to feed people, you know? That's the, the, the purity of these people's hearts is, was so extraordinary. I mean, we are just not used to that here. Not that our hearts aren't pure, but these people were, you know, they were like, so amazing. And in fact, Dada was a smoker. And uh, he'd be with Maharaji all day, so he couldn't smoke. So Maharaji, of course, knew. Every once in a while, he'd look at Dada and say, go take your two minutes. <laughs> Dada would run to our room where we had an ashtray, his favorite cigarettes, hot tea waiting, and, and matches. And he would come in light the cigarette and smoke, drink tea and and be talking, and telling Maharaji stories like this. And then all of a sudden you'd see he's starting to throw the cigarette down and put the teacup down and his eyes are going like this. And then we would hear Dada. (laughs) A full two seconds before we heard Maharaji yell, Dada was already on his way back. It was extraordinary. It was just so amazing. So finally, he gave up cigarettes. Do you know why? Because it occurred to him how much money he had spent on cigarettes in his life. And all that money could have been spent on Prasad to feed people. And he was so shamed by that. That he just quit. So, you.
1: Thank you for your devotion. With my accent, please. Uh, Any tips? To memorize the Hanuman Kalisha. how can I do that?
2: <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> just keep singing it. You can read. It. You don't. Have, who said you had to memorize it? What? You don't get fifty bucks for memorizing. I would love to. <laughs> then, but just keep reading it. Do it every day. Just keep reading it, reading it, and eventually it'll stick. What's
1: okay? it? Forty yeah.
2: lines. <laughs> Look, <laughs> I have a, the IQ of about three, and I memorized it. So you should be able to. it took a long time. Yeah, it took us a long time.
1: Yeah,
2: Yeah, there you go. Um, But we'd like to go back and forth. So anybody over here? Who's got the mic? There's the gentleman. Krishna Das, thank you for everything you give us. Um, I just, I've heard stories and I don't know if they're true or not, but I'm sure you may. If they're about me, they're probably true. (laughs) it, It isn't about you. Phew. Um, there's a story I think I've heard about Maharaji and his namesake and a train. Oh, yeah. Could you? Could you yeah. Maharaji's name, Nima Karoli Baba, is more correctly Nib Karori Baba, which is a village in, in about eight hours outside of Delhi, which I just visited for the first time uh, last January. And this is the place where Maharaji lived in a cave for five years and he came out and then he went back in for another three years, right, right there. And, um, it's quite a place. It's just this little funky village and there's more murders per capita in this village than any place in the world. And this is where he did his, his meditation and everything in this cave. It's crazy. And when I, We went there, we got to the temple and said, oh, don't go out at night, you know. They wouldn't even let us go out, you know. So uh, he was a young sadhu with long matted hair. And he was riding a train without a ticket. Because sadhus usually, sadhus means like wandering yogis, wandering monks. So most in those days in India, you know, 1910, 20, they would would usually let these sadhus ride for free. But the sadhus would usually ride in the third class compartment. And Maharaji happened to be riding in the first class compartment with the English people. Not very nice. So the conductor came. And he asked for his ticket, and Maharaji just he didn't, didn't respond. It was like he was ignoring him. He was probably you know, in samadhi or something, just wasn't paying attention. So when he didn't respond, the conductor grabs him by his matted hair, and he pulled him out of the train. They stopped the train, and he threw him off the train. So Maharaji wandered over to this tree and sat down at the foot of this tree, And then everybody got back on the train because it was a big commotion. And the conductor said, let's go. And the whistle blows and the train doesn't move. And people get off the train. They're all inspecting what's going on. The engine's working. I have been told, and I can't verify that this is true, that the wheels of the engine were actually going around and the train wasn't moving. I don't know. That's what they say. But they exaggerate. So there he is sitting at the tree and the train is not moving and time goes by and everybody's saying, what is this? And so one of the, the Indian workers on the train comes up to this. I think he was an Anglo-Indian conductor. You know, he was, he had probably had mixed parenthood in India, but and they would not look, the English didn't like them and the Indians didn't like them. They were in it kind of because they were neither here nor there. But so the Indian guy comes up to the conductor and said, you know, Saab, we believe that these Babas have powers, and you were very rude to him. Perhaps you should apologize. Apologize to a sadhu? Get out of here, you know? But the train was not moving. What to do? So he walks over to Maharaj and he says, uh, Baba, I, I'm i very rude. I'm, I apologize, but you didn't have a ticket, and I, it's my job. I was just trying to do my job. Maharaji looks up and he says, no ticket. And he shakes his dhoti, you know, this cloth. Hundreds of first-class tickets fall out all over the floor, and the guy falls down on the ground and touches his feet. He says, Baba, Baba, please let the train go.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and Maharaj says, OK, the villagers around here have to walk very far to get their, get their food and stuff to, the, to, to town by train. There's no station near here. So if you promise me that you'll build a station here, I'll let the train go. So the conductor says, I can't promise, but I, I, I promise you I'll try. Okay. He gets up and walks into the jungle, and the train takes off. So that's how he got his name, the Baba from Nimkaroli. Karoli. And uh, I was there in January. He never let anybody go there while he was alive. No, he wouldn't let none of the devotees go to this place. But as soon as he left the body, his devotees started to go. And I, I finally got there after all these years, and it's really an amazing place. And to stand there at the spot, you know, his name at the time was Lakshmandas. He was called Lakshmandas. And there's a sign that says Das Station, essentially, right there. And little bench. It's just a small little station, but the train stops there. (sighs) Das means servant. Lakshman is Ram's brother, you know, so he's a servant of. Means servant of God is what it means. Just like Krishna Das, Ram Das. All dasas are servants. It comes from Hanuman, the lineage of Hanuman, who's Ram Das, who's the servant of Ram. Everything these beings do, they do for only one reason, for our sake. These great beings have no, there's no personal agenda. They've been there, done that. They don't need anything. They don't want anything. It might look like they do, but that's what's called lila, play, their play. Some of these Babas drive around in fancy cars. Some of them walk naked in the jungle. But if they're really a, a real Baba, they're completely unattached to whatever it looks like to us. Because their only reason for being is compassion. They know we're all one. And they know that we don't know that. So we suffer. So they're here to show us what's possible and to help us find a way to take a step in the right direction. There's just no other reason why they're here. And to meet somebody like that, and to meet people like that, like His Holiness the Dalai Lama, what does he want? He wants people to be happy. He wants to show us how to be kind and compassionate. But... Being kind and compassionate is, is a practice. You have to think about it. You have to you have to override your own self, our own selfishness, to think about other people sometime, and to become aware of what other people are going through. It's not all about us, you know. And but that's just a, that's a stage on the path. That's practice. Eventually, there's nothing left in there but compassion. There's no one thinking, I'm being compassionate, because that's also a trip. It's a good trip, and it's a useful trip. And since we have to be tripping, it's better to trip like that, <laughs> because those trips lead to the dissolving of our separateness. Separateness. Look around the room. Everybody here thinks they are who they think they are. That is
1: Crazy.
2: <laughs> really. We are all totally locked into this thing that we think we are who we think we are. It's amazing. But even so, in there is the real thing. And so when we do practices, that's what happens. We, we learn how to let go of all those storylines and go deeper into ourselves. We have to learn how to trust ourselves. We have to learn how to trust ourselves. If we don't trust ourselves, what are we, what are we doing? <laughs> why are we doing spiritual practice? We don't trust ourselves. It's like trying to, to go home and find out you're at the neighbor's house without, and you don't have a key. It's like, why are you trying to get into somebody else's house when you have one? Well, if we don't trust ourselves, it means we won't let it happen. We're not going to let it happen. The fear is too much. There's too much damage to the wiring. I'm not saying like you can just make a choice. like Now I'm going to trust myself. Uh -uh. No, no, no. It's not easy. We're all so damaged, so betrayed, so hurt, so many times in so many ways. We have to we have, to, we have to learn how to be good to ourselves, and it's, it's not so easy. Not so easy. But we get the strength to accomplish that through practice. Because practice we're doing not for selfish reasons. We're doing it to find out the truth to become love, to become a good human being, to become happy, to to recognize that we're worthy of love. I mean, we, this is why we do practices. These are going to be the fruits of our practice. I'm really, I feel, the reason I we do this, talk like this, is because I really think we get a lot out of it. I mean, because... I go around all the whole world and I meet so many people and everybody wants, everybody's exactly the same with a different accent. <laughs> That's all. Everybody else it's exactly the same, just a different accent. You want the same thing. You've got the same problems. And when we talk like this, I really think it comforts us that we're all just as stupid as everybody else. I am talking for myself, but you know. <laughs> Maybe a couple of you are smart. I don't know. But that's why we do this. I I I, I feel it's useful. And since I'm sitting up here, you got to do it if you can. But we can sing, too. But if there's real questions, I'm happy to take them.
1: Can you just say a little bit about um, being the Dakotas? You were with Bernie, doing him. Anything that you'd like to share?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to give you a little background. Uh, Three weeks ago or so, I went to, uh, uh, there's a man named Bernie Glassman who's a Zen master and he has a, among other things, he has a group called the Zen Peacemakers and they do what they call bearing witness retreats. Bearing witness. Uh, Every year they go to Auschwitz and they, they stay in the camps all day and they bear witness to the suffering bear witness remember that phrase they go to rwanda where the, the 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 different tribes have been slaughtered maybe 500,000 people have been killed in the last 10 years and they they sit there with those people victims and oppressors victimizers both and they bear witness they with them they're not trying to solve the problems but they're simply becoming being present with what's happening. So they did a retreat last month in at the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota where the Lakota people live. And the idea was, of course, to bear witness to the suffering that had been inflicted on these people, in this case by the United States government. And once again, it wasn't to solve anything. There have been a lot of groups that go there and they think they have the ways to solve everything and they wind up leaving and nothing changes. But this group was 160 people from all around the world gathered to be with the, the Lakota people. There were elders there at the retreat who spoke to us, told their stories, told us what happened, shared with us, and allowed us to... Uh, be with that, and to open our hearts to the situation. You know, I don't think there's anywhere you can go in this world where there is an extraordinary suffering in one form or another. But when you bear witness to the suffering, it doesn't mean to sympathize, and it doesn't mean to empathize. It means... To bear witness means to be with it. And in order to be with it, you have to actually let go of your versions of it, your, your your stories about it, your emotional reactions to it. For instance, in Auschwitz, I identified with the victims. At Pine Ridge, I was one of the bad white guys. It's a very different situation. To bear witness to the whole situation, very powerful. Very powerful. You can read all about it if you go to the zenpeacemakers.org or just search Bernie Glassman. Uh, you can read more about it. It's a powerful practice. And why do I do it? Because I want to be love. I don't want anything to close me down. I don't want I don't want to be caught in my own bullshit. And when you go into a situation like that, you're forced to face your own projections. And in order to be with another human being who's suffering, you must let go of those projections to be there. And that's a practice in itself. Very powerful. Very powerful. Very powerful.
1: It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com/slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash be here now.